Section 7 of Selections from the Principles of Philosophy by René Descartes. Translated by John Veitch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Of the Principles of Material Things. 14. Wherein place and space differ. The terms place and space, however, differ in signification, because place more expressly designates situation than magnitude or figure, while, on the other hand, we think of the latter when we speak of space. For we frequently say that a thing succeeds to the place of another, although it be not exactly of the same magnitude or figure, but we do not therefore admit that it occupies the same space as the other, and when the situation is changed, we say that the place is also changed, although there are the same magnitude and figure as before, so that when we say that a thing is in a particular place, we mean merely that it is situated in a determinate way in respect of certain other objects, and when we add that it occupies such a space or place, we understand besides that it is of such determinate magnitude and figure as exactly to fill this space. 15. How external place is rightly taken for the superficies of the surrounding body. And thus we never indeed distinguish space from extension in length, breadth, and depth. We sometimes, however, consider place as in the thing placed, and at other times as out of it. Internal place indeed differs in no way from space, but external place may be taken for the superficies that immediately surrounds the thing placed. It ought to be remarked that by superficies we do not here understand any part of the surrounding body, but only the boundary between the surrounding and surrounded bodies, which is nothing more than a mode, or at least that we speak of superficies in general which is no part of one body rather than another, but is always considered the same, provided it retain the same magnitude and figure. For although the whole surrounding body with its superficies were changed, it would not be supposed that the body which was surrounded by it had therefore changed its place, if it meanwhile preserved the same situation with respect to the other bodies that are regarded as immovable. Thus, if we suppose that a boat is carried in one direction by the current of a stream, and impelled by the wind in the opposite with an equal force, so that its situation with respect to the banks is not changed, we will readily admit that it remains in the same place, although the whole superficies which surrounds it is incessantly changing. 16. That a vacuum or space in which there is absolutely no body is repugnant to reason. With regard to a vacuum, in the philosophical sense of the term, that is, a space in which there is no substance, it is evident that such does not exist, seeing the extension of space or internal place is not different from that of body. For since from this alone, that a body has extension in length, breadth, and depth, we have reason to conclude that it is a substance, it being absolutely contradictory that nothing should possess extension, we ought to form a similar inference regarding the space which is supposed void that is, that since there is extension in it, there is necessarily also substance. 17. That a vacuum, in the ordinary use of the term, does not exclude all body. And in truth, by the term vacuum, in its common use, we do not mean a place or space in which there is absolutely nothing, but only a place in which there is none of those things we presume ought to be there. Thus, because a pitcher is made to hold water, it is said to be empty when it is merely filled with air, or if there are no fish in a fish-pond, we say there is nothing in it, although it be full of water. Thus a vessel is said to be empty, when, in place of the merchandise which it was designed to carry, it is loaded with sand only, to enable it to resist the violence of the wind. And finally, it is in the same sense that we say space is void, when it contains nothing sensible, although it contain created and self-subsisting matter, 
for we are not in the habit of considering the bodies near us unless in so far as they cause in our organs of sense impressions strong enough to enable us to perceive them and if in place of keeping in mind what ought to be understood by these terms a vacuum and nothing we afterwards suppose that in the space we call the vacuum there is not only no sensible object but no object at all we will fall into the same error as if because a pitcher in which there is nothing but air is in common speech said to be empty we were therefore to judge that the air contained in it is not a substance res subsistence eighteen how the prejudice of an absolute vacuum is to be corrected we have almost all fallen into this error from the earliest age for observing that there is no necessary connection between a vessel and the body it contains we thought that god at least could take from a vessel the body which occupied it without it being necessary that any other should be put in the place of the one removed but that we may be able now to correct this false opinion it is necessary to remark that there is in truth no connection between the vessel and the particular body which it contains but that there is an absolutely necessary connection between the concave figure of the vessel and the extension considered generally which must be comprised in this cavity so that it is not more contradictory to conceive a mountain without a valley than such a cavity without the extension it contains or this extension apart from an extended substance for as we have often said of nothing there can be no extension and accordingly if it be asked what would happen were god to remove from a vessel all the body contained in it without permitting another body to occupy its place the answer must be that the sides of the vessel would thus come into proximity with each other for two bodies must touch each other when there is nothing between them and it is manifestly contradictory for two bodies to be apart in other words that there should be a distance between them and this distance yet be nothing for all distance is a mode of extension and cannot therefore exist without an extended substance nineteen that this confirms what was said of rarefaction after we have thus remarked that the nature of corporeal substance consists only in its being an extended thing and that its extension is not different from that which we attribute to space however empty it is easy to discover the impossibility of any one of its parts in any way whatsoever occupying more space at one time than at another and thus of being otherwise rarefied than in the way explained above and it is easy to perceive also that there cannot be more matter or body in a vessel when it is filled with lead or gold or any other body however heavy and hard than when it but contains air and is supposed to be empty for the quantity of the parts of which a body is composed does not depend on their weight or hardness but only on the extension which is always equal in the same vase twenty that from this the non-existence of atoms may likewise be demonstrated we likewise discover that there cannot exist any atoms or parts of matter that are of their own nature indivisible for however small we suppose these parts to be yet because they are necessarily extended we are always able in thought to divide any one of them into two or more smaller parts and may accordingly admit their divisibility for there is nothing we can divide in thought which we do not thereby recognize to be divisible and therefore were we to judge it indivisible our judgment would not be in harmony with the knowledge we have of the thing and although we should even suppose that god had produced any particle of matter to a smallness so extreme that it did not admit of being further divided it would nevertheless be improperly styled indivisible for though god had rendered the particle so small that it was not in the power of any creature to divide it he could not however deprive himself of the ability to do so since it is absolutely impossible for him to lessen his own omnipotence as was before observed 
wherefore absolutely speaking the smallest extended particle is always divisible since it is such of its very nature twenty one it is thus also demonstrated that the extension of the world is indefinite we further discover that this world or the whole universitas of corporeal substance is extended without limit for wherever we fix a limit we still not only imagine beyond it spaces indefinitely extended but perceive these to be truly imaginable in other words to be in reality such as we imagine them so that they contain in them corporeal substance indefinitely extended for as has already been shown at length the idea of extension which you conceive in any space whatever is plainly identical with the idea of corporeal substance twenty two it also follows that the matter of the heavens and earth is the same and that there cannot be a plurality of worlds and it may also be easily infirmed from all this that the earth and heavens are made of the same matter and that even although there were an infinity of worlds they would all be composed of this matter from which it follows that a plurality of worlds is impossible because we clearly conceive that the matter whose nature consists only in its being an extended substance already wholly occupies all the imaginable spaces where these other worlds could alone be and we cannot find in ourselves the idea of any other matter twenty three that all the variety of matter or the diversity of its forms depends on motion there is therefore but one kind of matter in the whole universe and this we know only by its being extended all the properties we distinctly perceive to belong to it are reducible to its capacity of being divided and moved according to its parts and accordingly it is capable of all those affections which we perceive can arise from the motion of its parts for the partition of matter in thought makes no change in it but all variation of it or diversity of form depends on motion the philosophers even seem universally to have observed this for they said that nature was the principle of motion and rest and by nature they understood that by which all corporeal things become such as they are found in experience twenty four what motion is taking the term in its common use but motion that is local for i can conceive no other kind of motion and therefore i do not think we ought to suppose there is any other in nature in the ordinary sense of the term is nothing more than the action by which a body passes from one place to another and just as we have remarked above that the same thing may be said to change and not to change place at the same time so also we may say that the same thing is at the same time moved and not moved thus for example a person seated in a vessel which is setting sail thinks he is in motion if he looks to the shore that he has left and consider it as fixed but not if he regard the ship itself among the parts of which he preserves always the same situation moreover because we are accustomed to suppose that there is no motion without action and that in rest there is the cessation of action the person thus seated is more properly said to be at rest than in motion seeing he is not conscious of being in action twenty five what motion is properly so called but if instead of occupying ourselves with that which has no foundation unless in ordinary usage we desire to know what ought to be understood by motion according to the truth of the thing we may say in order to give it a determinate nature that it is the transporting of one part of matter or of one body from the vicinity of those bodies that are in immediate contact with it or which we regard as at rest to the vicinity of other bodies by a body as a part of matter i understand all that which is transferred together although it be perhaps composed of several parts which in themselves have other motions and i say that it is the transporting and not the force or action which transports 
with the view of showing that motion is always in the movable thing not in that which moves for it seems to me that we are not accustomed to distinguish these two things with sufficient accuracy further i understand that it is a mode of the movable thing and not a substance just as figure is a property of the thing figured and repose of that which is at rest end of section seven